Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. There's no problem too big that they can't solve. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I want to mention Trevor McGregor. Trevor is a real estate results coach. I've been paying him and working with him for years now. He actually is responsible for giving me the idea to do a podcast. So it's not only about transactions that he gives advice on how to find more deals, how to make more money, but also how to build a holistic plan around your real estate entrepreneurship endeavors. That's what I love about working with Trevor, that and being held accountable for what I say I'm going to do and actually making sure that I follow through and do it. I feel like I'm a pretty results-oriented, accountable kind of person, but it's always nice to have someone who's there guiding you along the way and giving you strategy as well as psychology tips for how to deal with you know the things that come up as a real estate entrepreneur. Trevor has made a wonderful offer for the best ever listeners, and that is that he's offering a free coaching session. Go to coachwithtrevor.com. That's C-O-A-C-H-W-I-T-H-T-R-E-V-O-R.com. Highly recommend him. I've worked with him before. I'm currently working with him right now as my business, as my real estate investing coach. Highly recommend you do the same. Take him up on his offer. Get a free coaching session. Coachwithtrevor.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless and well, happy weekend too. I hope you're having a wonderful Saturday and because it's Saturday, we're doing Situation Saturday where we put our best ever guests into a sticky situation and it's not a situation that's new to them. It's always a situation that they have been through and have come out on the other side and they're going to tell us a story behind how they did that. With us today, we have Nick Ruiz. How you doing, Nick? I'm beautiful, Joe. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, my pleasure, my friend. And looking forward to hearing your story and your situation that was so darn sticky. And boy, uh, it was one. it's one of the stickiest of the stickiest yeah. situations. <laughs> uh, if you recognize Nick's name, then that's because you're a loyal best ever listener. And you remember that he has been a guest and he has given his best ever advice. You can go to episode 71 and listen to that episode where he talks about his best ever advice and we get into the traditional show format. But today it is Situation Saturday. So we're going to hear from Nick 
about how he overcame bankruptcy and became a successful investor, not once, but now twice. And a little bit about Nick, and then I'll let him get into it a little bit more detail. Then we'll dive into Situation Saturday. He is a twice-made, twice-self-made real estate entrepreneur focused on single-family homes. He's got a book on house flipping called Flip, which is uh, named appropriately. He's got a website. You can say hi to him at Alpha Home Flipping, A-L-P-H-A HomeFlipping.com. There will be a link to that in the show notes page. He had over 70 buildings before 2008. Then Armageddon hit. We'll get into that. Uh, today, he wholesales 8 to 10 places a year. He rehabs 8 to 10 a year, and he owns seven single-family homes in the state of Wisconsin, specifically in Milwaukee, where he's based. With that being said, very quickly, you want to just high-level give a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get into Situation Saturday? Absolutely. Sure. I started from scratch in my late teens, built a uh, seven-figure net worth in real estate, uh, a lot of rental properties. 2008 clobbered me over the head, and you know now I'm back doing deals again after bankruptcy. All right. Well, we've got a lot to learn from you, and let's dive in. What what will the best ever listeners get out of this conversation after they've heard your story? Well, I think what they're going to understand is there's no problem too big that they can't solve, and that the problem solving skill in general is something that can be developed as an entrepreneur. And once you develop that skill set, it doesn't matter what the specific problem coming at you is. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. I'm ready to go. You ready to go? Bingo. Let's do it. All right. Tell us your story about bankruptcy and coming back from it. Yeah. Well, things were going good in the 2000s. For those listeners who know how things went back then, it was a very strong run up in real estate value. You know, I started in uh, the late 90s, 2000 ish, and uh, values kept climbing and climbing and climbing. The money faucet was on from all bankers and it was just a borrowing fest, you know, and it didn't matter because values continued to climb every year. I mean, I remember talking to my buddies and we'd be like, dude, how can this thing go up another 20, 30,000 this year? Each property I had was gaining 20 and $30,000 in value per year or more. And it was like, of course, I'm going to continue to borrow to buy more. That's it's infinite returns. I put up zero capital <laughs> and, you know, the returns are littered. The ROI is infinite. You can't even put a number on it. So I, I bought up as much as possible. And at, at, uh, at the peak, it was around 70 buildings in my city. Uh, I'd borrow against one, buy another, borrow, 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 blah, 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 blah. And um, it, uh, it was a big business. I was in my mid to later 20s and had a seven figure net worth. Lots of revenue coming in from rents, multiple crews working for me, a big operation. And then again, 2008, the enormous crash, the greatest crash since the Great Depression in our country, real estate completely collapsed in value. And in some lower end areas that I had, values lost sometimes 70, 80, 90 percent. So the point is it eventually forced me into bankruptcy. I was way upside down on way too many buildings and it just... That's the way the, the cookie crumbled, you know? So yeah, bankruptcy. Yeah, with the, boy, values plummeted 60, what, how high? What percent? Some of the values in areas that I was buying in, some of the really lower end areas lost the most value and like 60, 70, 80% in value lost, you know, where they were once appraised for 80, were now worth like 15, like that kind of thing. Wow. Not all of them, but in some areas, yeah. that's, that's how underwater they went. 
um, and how artificial much of the market was nationwide, you know, not just where I'm at. I mean, it was all artificial value based on the fact that borrowing was so free, you know, when money's cheap, of course, you know, the, the, the values are going to go up because the demand to buy real estate was higher than the supply of homes existing. And I'm, I'm sure one of the lessons uh, and I want to I want to talk a little bit about before 2008 and then we'll talk about post 2008. Yeah. So on the before 2008 stuff, I'm sure one of the lessons is don't borrow against one property to buy another like you were doing? Well, I would, I would, I'm very cautious now. I guess the, the lens that I see through nowadays is based on living through what I've lived through. But I would say yeah. leverage can be okay. I would say minimize it and be as liquid as possible because rainy days can whack you in the face without, I mean, we, we don't know how the winds are going to change in this economy. We don't know behind the scenes operations that are occurring with our government, other countries, the dollar, you know, um, the Fed and things like that. And drastic changes can happen. So I'm saying stay as liquid as possible. But what I'm also saying is strategic borrowing in a conservative way can be in your favor. It's just you you make sure you're when you are borrowing, you uh, have a very wide degree of vision on what's occurring to make sure it's the smartest move. But I like as much liquidity as possible um, and very, very like the lowest possible amortization you can afford. So uh, as much principal as reduced as possible, those kinds of things. From a credit score standpoint, what is what does your credit score get down to? Oh, after bankruptcy, I think like the low fives or something, you know, the low 500s, you know. And and does does that matter in your your business with house flipping? No, no. It, I mean, it depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to, you know, do the classic buy a rental property, put 10 or 20 percent down and get the rest finance from a bank. Yeah, it matters to me or anyone because the bank's going to reject you. But what I would say is the beauty of the real estate business is there are so many ways to get into deals with none of your own money and using none of your own credit. I mean, that's why I love real estate, because there's definitely a way around having to use your credit. So the sky came crashing down. You had 70 buildings. You were they were all con- were they all connected because you were borrowing uh, against one to buy another? They were there was all scattered. They were all single family duplex couple. Mo- right. Couple right. But I, but I mean, but I, but I mean, from a financial standpoint, oh, they were all separate connected. mortgages. I did have a few okay. blanket loans that, you know, one mortgage for six places or whatever. But the majority of them were single mortgages per property. Yeah. Okay, got it. Because I, I heard you say you're borrowing against one to buy another. Yeah, I'd refinance one, pull out some cash, and then use that cash for a new mortgage altogether. That's what I got mean. it. Yeah. So they were just really high, highly leveraged. Bingo. Yep. Yep. Okay. And the rents were, you know, still over and above all the expenses. So in theory, that machine, if the, if values never, if the values continue to climb, in theory, that that model works. But we all know now, especially living through 2008, that real estate, along with any other asset class, is cyclical. Uh, it goes up and it goes down. You know, but again, strategic entrepreneurs know how to thrive in the ups and downs. And since I've lived through that down, I especially know how to strive through down now. Still talking about pre-2008 with the properties, it, it doesn't really matter what the value is as long as you've got residents covering your mortgage and all your expenses were people also just were the rents plummeting as well? Is that what was happening? Yeah, it was like a perfect storm of events where te- some tenants were losing their jobs and there was a lot of non-payment. And then um, tenants were getting reckless, destroying things. The city came after me for all these violations. And it was just like um, 
some banks were calling loans due even. You got to remember that was a common thing back then where, you know, you'd get these three and five year balloons and banks would call notes due and you couldn't refinance out of them. So it was just like a perfect storm of events that that all just kind of set the the downfall in motion for me. At, at, at what point did you have the least amount of how, how well you start, you had around 70. How how many did you get down to zero? I got down to zero. I mean, they all, they all were gone. Yeah. between 70 or however many you had to zero what how how long of a period of time was that yeah that's tough to totally recall because it you know going through all this there's a lot of blur i don't know how, I, I don't know how to explain it but seriously <laughs> i believe you uh, no, I believe. <laughs> it, it's not it's it's something that i can only sort through to a certain point but you got, you, you know, you got to remember the psychology behind this. Like I was a young, hotshot, young, successful entrepreneur. How old were you? I was in my mid twenties doing all this, you know, in late twenties. And I was just, you felt like I was riding high on top of the world. And then the psychology, see, I've been broke before I had anything prior and I've been broke after I've had money and being broke after you've had money is much more painful. That's a fact. I've lived through it. So I can tell you, but when you go, when you spiral downward quickly, just things get really blurry. You know, you, I don't know how to explain it. And for those of you who have been through a st- ext- uh, extremely, st- um, tra- tra- what am I trying to say here? Stressful. Stressful. <laughs> Stressful See, look at me. I'm going back into it. I, my mind, my mind. I don't want you to have back. a seizure. Yeah, go, yeah. I don't want you. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I, as I go back, sort, take a deep breath, Nick, <laughs> but no, there, this was so much. I mean, my bankruptcy file was just so st- Stack thick. There was just so much paperwork and different legal things, and you know, going to court and just so many things and so many negative things. I guess coming at me at once that it's just like I don't know. I mean, it, it took a while, but yeah, j- just to give give my, myself and best ever listeners an estimate, how roughly I mean, twelve months? foreclosure took about twelve months. I would say you know some, some yeah. sooner, some la- some longer. Um, depending, cause remember back then everyone was going belly up. So banks, so especially like the larger banks, like the, the Wells Fargo's and, you know, the countrywide Washington mutual, those kind of banks took longer to foreclose cause they were foreclosing on half the freaking country at the time. You know what I mean? So it was like they had a backlog of foreclosures. When, when you were at that point and, and we're about to get into post 2008, so there will be sunshine and flowers and birds will be chirping, but we're still in the dark, cloudy days. Uh, when, when you're going through that process, let's say you're, you're in the middle of it. Let's say you're around house number 35 and I know it's all a blur, but you're just like right in the middle of it. What are you thinking at that time? I'm thinking my pride is going to take the biggest blow. Like I am I was always on the climb since I was a kid. This was the first point in my life. I mean, I feel like, yeah, being broke is miserable, beyond miserable. Filing bankruptcy, destroying your credit. I mean, I, I, I would have taken a bullet to protect my credit up until then. You know what I mean? Uh, but so I think what happened with me is it was a mental game of what the hell am I going to look like? Like I was just the guy that was constantly climbing and gaining more and more and more success and now I'm at a point where all that's like rapidly declining and going away. How am I going to like face the world? I mean, that, I'm just being honest and open here and telling you like that was extremely painful for me, you know, thinking about this as things were, were going down the way they were going down. It, that, that, my pride, uh, my, my ego just got destroyed. And that, that was ultimate pain for me. Now, uh, 2008 is over. The sun's starting to peek out of the clouds. How did you bounce back? 
Well, the sun didn't peek out. I had to climb up on a really tall ladder and move some clouds away <laughs> annually. Okay. <laughs> That's what had to happen. <laughs> I wish it would have peaked out. That would have made it easier. No. Um, the deal was I knew my credit was shot, you know, so that was out. Borrowing was the end. The, I was at the end of the borrowing game, but you know, I was like, I know how to wholesale homes and flip homes and I know how to do this. I just need to adjust a few things and, you know, kind of laser focus my energy and attention on wholesaling and rehabbing and selling more, you know, and um, I, I put together a deal, made a profit, reinvested that money, did another deal and another deal. And it just kind of, you know, climbed upwards because um, I'm ve- I was very cautious with every every dollar spent. And I made sure that any any loose change that didn't go into surviving and feeding my family went back into the business to help it grow. I, I'm obsessed with rolling profits back into any business endeavor for your own success um, in any way, shape, or form. I'm obsessed with using as much money as possible to scale and grow and maintain your protection against negative external forces in the economy. How do you balance the obsession of rolling profits into a business with what you were mentioning earlier about being as liquid as possible? Well, first of all, that means, you know, take, in, part of investing back in the business is writing a check for a rental instead of using a mortgage or leverage. That's liquidity to me, having free and clear rentals, you know, knowing that, you know, on a rainy day, you can pawn them off pretty quickly, especially single family homes. And then rolling them into different marketing that I do to uh, bring in more deals that bring in more profits. So, you know, that I guess it, what it does is it allows me to minimize any borrowing that I do and I can just stay liquid and, and, and write checks for uh, for properties. To me, that's liquidity as well. When you have free and clear properties, that's close. Okay. That's pretty close to, you know, liquidity, meaning you're not over leveraged. You know, you're not. It's the opposite of being leveraged. Do you own those seven homes free and clear? Yes. Yes. And that came from the profits from flipping right. and re- and wholesaling? Right. right. So I guess what I mean is I'm obsessively, you know, I'm not going to go buy something stupid. I'm not going to, you know, money in the bank is worthless, you know? So again, it's rolling it into, to rental properties, to, to marketing for more deals, for more flips. And just kind of, I, I feel like the, you know, the more you put in your business, the more you're going to be able to exponentially scale and grow period. If, if, if you, uh, let's, let's say you just completed a flip, you got a check for 50,000. And in this scenario, uh, you also currently own a house that has a $50,000 mortgage on it. Um, it's worth, say, 80000 Do you pay down that mortgage of 50000 no, or no. do you acquire a property for 50000 for cash? I would acquire because, I mean, let's say, that what, what's the rate? You know, what's the rate on the, uh, the mortgage? Even if it's five, five, five percent. Well, I can write a check for a home for, let's say, thirty thousand, get nine hundred in rent, and that's about a forty percent return on my money. Forty minus five. Now I'm now I'm still making thirty five percent return, and I have two assets. So no, I would not pay it down. I would acquire the new property. Okay, so in, in I guess then why do you buy homes for cash? Why don't you just put a mortgage on them using that same logic? Because it. The, the psychology of having all free and clear buildings to me just, again, when you, when you live through such a traumatic environment like I did, knowing you have zero monthly mortgage commitments just would put you, and again, I would never have that first mortgage that you're talking about to begin with, you know, the, the first mortgage you, you had in question. 
I would rather have as many free and clear properties as possible because there's something to say about the psychology of collecting rents and having vacancies when you have no mortgage commitments. And I, and I just, I say that clearly because of what I've been through and it's a very safe route. It's maybe not as aggressive as some people want to be, but I do balance on a tightrope aggressiveness with defensiveness because of what I've been through, you know, like any other traumatic event in life, you know, you're going to look at things through a certain lens. And the lens I look through is uh, if I borrow super low amortizations and, um, borrow as much as, or I mean, do not borrow as much as you possibly can help yourself. You know, that's why I focus on wholesaling and rehabbing and selling mainly. And then when the right rent, rental comes along, I write a check. Is there anything else that you, uh, you want to talk about or mention as it relates to recovering from a bankruptcy that you think would be important for the best ever listeners to know? Yeah, I think wherever you're at, if you're going through something like that, it's okay to embrace it because what it does is it strengthens, I always say it strengthens your adversity muscles. It develops your problem solving skill set to where smaller problems just aren't as big of a deal as they once were. Things that used to make me crack and crumble are just like, eh, big, big deal. <laughs> Seriously, when you've been through something traumatic, it drastically flexes um, your adversity muscles, you know. So I would say the problem solving, solving problems as an entrepreneur in real estate is a general skill set to where, you know, I get so many people say, hey, Nick, what about when this happens? And, you know, I'm doing a deal and the buyer walked away or, you know, this and that. And yet those are like the micro problems that you can zoom in on. And I get it. I understand it. You're new. You don't get the business. But I really want to help entrepreneurs develop the entrepreneurial mindset and the problem solving mindset, because then what it does is it encapsulates all the problems that come your way and you have the ability to maneuver around and fix them without even having to understand the specifics about that problem. It's kind of the macro approach, if I were to call it something of where you're when you develop when you know how to solve problems. It really doesn't matter. And you can not worry as much about problems coming your way because, you know, there's a workaround for it. Yeah, I, boy, what you, what you said, a couple, well, three or four things that you've said I've been I've been writing down and, and they've resonated with me. And uh, I'm so grateful that uh, we we uh, had this conversation on the show again and you came in and talked about how to ba- bounce back from bankruptcy uh, the the thing that you mentioned at the very end, smaller problems aren't as big of a deal anymore for right. you because your adversity muscle has already been flexed or stretched to a certain point where it's like, okay, well, yeah, that that's happening, but so what? Have you ever gone through bankruptcy? Right, right. <laughs> have you ever had mind. seventy? Have you, you know, it's like, have you ever had seventy properties and then and then not anymore, and and had your your pride just take a you know a gigantic hit? I mean, there there's something to be said about that, and yep. uh, I, it's it's just really I, I love love hearing your story because it helps myself and others. I suspect put things in perspective with you know what we've got going on in our business, and perhaps others who are listening to this will will shoot. I, I've got this disease, you know. Screw bankruptcy. What about this? So there's always we could always one up each other with our problems. And the point of it is that when we start thinking about what we have going on, ultimately in the big picture, we can handle it. And there's adversity that everybody's everybody is coming across in some form or fashion. Uh, so it's not unique. And I, I love that you said, you know, it's okay to embrace it. It reminds me of going to a Tony Robbins seminar and he 
you know, does the he he uh, has the uh, person walk up to stage, and that person is like I don't know fear or trouble or problems, and whenever you he pulls on Tony's arm, there's like a lot of resistance, and nobody goes anywhere. But when you dance with that other person, when you dance with the problem, when you embrace it, at that point you can kind of take it where you want to go and and really be empowering um, or have an empowerment through it. So I, I love that. And uh, basically what you did is uh, after you had bankruptcy, you got laser focused on what you knew, but you just tweaked the strategy. That, you just right. didn't know, you just, yeah, you just have a d- different leverage uh, leverage point with your property. So, right. Um, right. So you tweak thank- it when the winds change, you have to adjust your sales. That's, that's something I, I, I live. Yeah. I, I live by that. Um, and, and again, it, it, yeah, like we just, like you just alluded to for the past minute, it's all an internal world. I, sw- I swear success. I'm actually working on a new book right now um, about the internal world of an entrepreneur and succeeding in general. And it's just what lens are you looking through? Like a comedian, I always use the comic as an example. They can go into a grocery store, buy a few things, and 10 minutes later, they have like material for a bit because uh, they're looking through a comedic lens. You know, so for those of you who think you're always running into brick walls, it's more or less the lens that's been developed over your eyes that you're looking. And if you have the right yep. lens, opportunities whack you in the face every day. You're just not speaking the opportunity language yet. So just understand that, that it's all infinite if you look at it the right way. I love it. Well, Nick, thank you so much for being on the show, sharing your insightful advice and your story, your inspiring story with the best ever listeners. And hope you have a best ever weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks again, Joe. I appreciate it, man. Did you achieve all your real estate goals in 2015? Well, if you did, congratulations. Fist bump to you. If you didn't, then go to coachwithtrevor.com. Trevor McGregor is my business coach, my real estate coach. He's also been a guest on the show, episode 320. He is offering a free coaching session for the best ever listeners. Just go to coachwithtrevor.com and it'll help you to achieve your real estate goals in 2016.